Bay Community Church, are you a young adult between the ages of 18 and 35? If so, you should join us Sundays at 1230 in the Surf Shack for lunch, discussion, and community. If you can't make it every Sunday, that's okay. We'd love it if you would come and introduce yourself so we could get to know you. If you aren't a young adult, but you're interested in providing lunch for them, please reach out to Ryan Sylvia. See you there. Do you like Friends and Thanksgiving? Then you'd love our Young Adults Friendsgiving event. It'll take place here at La Jolla Community Church in our Welcome Center on Wednesday, November 17th from 6.30 to 8.30. So if you're between the ages of 18 to 35, grab a friend and come join us for community and dinner on us. I hope to see you there. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. At this time, we're gonna get started with some worship, so you're invited to stand if you're able. Oh, Lord. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, all La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing? Everybody having a wonderful, wonderful Halloween so far? I don't know about you guys. This Halloween has been particularly special for me. It's really felt like the first Halloween in a couple of years where I've really gotten to engage with and have a lot of fun with the kids. So I don't know if you guys are having a wonderful time, but this Halloween has been one of the most amazing seasons. And we thank you so much for joining us and coming to celebrate this fun and wonderful time with us this morning. Well, my name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Student Ministries, and I want to welcome you all to our wonderful church on this Sunday morning. I would love to draw everybody's attention. On your way in, you should have gotten one of our fun, new, exciting bulletins. And if you notice, right in the middle, there's some perforation. You can fold that bad boy right in half, and it will separate for you. Our hope and our prayers, you take this top half home. If you notice, it's got a list of all of our upcoming Thanksgiving dinners. It does not matter what age group you are in. We have a Thanksgiving dinner for you. If you're zero years old and don't even know how to talk, we got a family dinner. 
dinner for you. If you're 60 years old and your kids are long gone and you don't have a place to go, we've got a family dinner for you, a community dinner that we would love for you to participate in. So please take this card, take it home, let them know. You go to a wonderful, wonderful church that wants to love on our community and wants to love on people. So please take this top half home. Every week I've got to pick up a couple that get left in the seat backs. Don't take it home. At least hide it from me so I don't know you left it here. But please take this home, hand it to somebody, let them know. We want to love on them. We want them to be part of our community. And then the bottom half of that card is my favorite part. This is our Connect and our Prayer card. If you're new here, if you want to look at this Get Connected with Us side, this is our Connect card here at La Jolla Community Church. This is how we get you plugged in, involved, and engaged in some of the wonderful ministries we've got going on here at church. Some of you may have participated in our Harvest Festival that happened yesterday. I didn't even get a count, but I went through five baskets of candy with kids, so I imagine there's quite a few people there. We had a wonderful time. Thank you all for serving. But if you would like to be a part of more events like that, please take a moment, fill out our Connect card. Let us know how we can get you engaged and plugged in. And last but not least, we have our prayer card. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in lifting each other up and encouraging each other when we're struggling. My favorite thing that I get to do every single week is sit down and individually pray over every single prayer request that gets turned in on Sunday. So if you've got something that is just bringing you down. Maybe this Halloween season hasn't been great for you. It's been a little scary, a little spooky, and some difficult stuff has happened. Let us know what's going on in your life. Let us know how we can pray for you. If you've got a praise report, God is doing something great in your life. You just came through a fantastic season. Let us know. My favorite thing, uh, there was a woman whose son is working out in Florida, uh, working on a horse farm, and we absolutely got a huge prayer request back that he is doing fantastic out there. We've prayed for him every single week for about a month now, I think, and it was just wonderful to hear that back and just to know that God is working even across the United States. So if you've got a praise report or a prayer request, please fill that out. And then on your way out, there are baskets in the foyer that you can drop these off. And then in front of you in the seat backs, there are the offering envelopes, and you can drop those off on the basket mounted on the wall in the sanctuary. And welcome to all those in the Welcome Center. There is also a box mounted on the wall in there. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We love having everybody here. Hope you have a wonderful Halloween, and I would love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much. Well, trick-or-treat, that's the official greeting of the day. You know, in American uh, language development among children, uh, they say mama, and then they say dada, and the third thing they say is trick-or-treat. Isn't it amazing? It's embedded in our culture, uh, trick-or-treat. You'll be hearing a lot of that tonight, and just let me remind you, it simply means give me candy. Uh, don't try to get into the, the, the real meaning of trick-or-treat. What's that? Just say, okay, I get it. It, mean, it, it means you want candy. Uh, and don't be tricked, by the way. They look very cute, but these are vicious gangs <laughs> organized around taking candy from innocent people in, in quiet neighborhoods. And they come up, they look so cute. You, you don't lean over to get close to them, and don't wear a tie, because they'll just grab that tie, and they'll say, where is the candy? I'm here for one purpose only. Uh, and I think you might want to let them know that it isn't all treats around your house. So you want to say this. When they say trick-or-treat, you say, sure. Sure, but first of all, and start with the youngest, just spell the word Czechoslovakia. And they love that. The kids respond to that. They find it very engaging. And uh, the whole point, though, is you want to teach them a powerful lesson that life can be tricky. Otherwise, it's just too easy. You walk up to anybody, anywhere, ask for candy, and you go away, one happy kid. It can't be that easy. We've got to give them some sense of, of perspective. Uh, here's why, because otherwise they'll internalize that, that phrase for the rest of their life. Uh, because trick-or-treat asked with a question at the end, trick-or-treat, 
uh, it really ends up being the most important existential question we ask in life. You might not think so. I don't really think so, but I'm just saying it could be one of the most important questions. Why? Because uh, we, we face the universe by saying, hey, is anybody home? I want a treat. Give me candy. Give me what I need. Uh, the theological, sophisticated theological version, you dress it up a bit, and it sounds like this. Hey, God, give me a great life. Hey, God, give me a great life. Uh, you know, God has been on trial in the modern era. Uh, in, in the ancient world, nobody ever expected a good life, believe it or not. Uh, nor did they hold it against God that there was suffering and heartache and havoc in the world. Literally, if you think about this, if this is a modern thing that when we think about the world being a place that isn't hospitable to us, it doesn't respond when we say, I want a good life, we immediately hold God accountable for that. God, you're not doing your job. Somebody is not delivering on the good life that I expect. I'm all dressed up. I've got my costume. I'm projecting my image. I'm going all, to all the effort of, 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 of preparing myself for what I expect is my right. Um, but the neat thing is, and this is the thing that really puts this off and why it becomes a big existential issue, God always answers the question. When we say, God, trick or treat, God, give me a good life, he says, absolutely, of course. And here's his answer. Sure, come to me and I will give you an abundant life, now and forever. Pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself and live in me. And he just then lets it hang there for our consideration. And there's a very long pause in which we say, is there anybody else home? Is there anybody else here? That was not the answer that I wanted uh, to get. Uh, Matthew builds this out for us as he records Jesus' presentation. We call it the, the Sermon on the Mount to thousands of people. Uh, and then it goes on in this ongoing conversation with his disciples through other groups of people. But the theme is this, and Matthew captures it pretty well um, in Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Uh, John uh, quotes Jesus uh, in, in chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's a very familiar verse to you if you've been around church for a while. I have come to give you life in all its fullness. And uh, that word that, that we, we translate either abundantly or full or fullness is the word pariso. And parisos, uh, translated uh, fullness or abundantly or abundance, means more than enough. I've, I've come to give you more than enough. Why would God say, I've come to give you more than enough? Why? Because we don't know what we need. God comes not just to give us what we want. We really do want some level of quality of life that we resonate with. We think this is what life is for. Uh, and yet we've already settled for, for the lowest common denominator. If I just have what they have, if I just have more of what I think I need and I want, I'll be happy. But God says, I've come to give you more than that, much more than that. I've come to give you life in all its fullness. 
And so Jesus' version of an abundant life is a life of generosity and service. That's what we want to unpack today as we talk about what does it look like to thrive and grow? Uh, and especially in our culture, what does it look like to thrive and grow? Uh, when you read in the newspaper and, and the, there's the pundits go back and forth about all the tax plans that are floating around out there, uh, and they talk about those evil people who make a lot of money, you think, that's just rotten. I just wish I was one of them. And it's so rotten that I'm not one of them, right? Because we want more, we want better. And the irony, uh, and, and this room is filled with people who know this from their own experience, when you get what you think you want, you're still not satisfied. You want more, but the problem is, here's what our problem is, we want more of the same thing. The kid who says, uh, uh, thanks, I'll have another one. And your kid, this is a poisonous, sugariness bomb. <laughs> Sugary, uh, nothingness bomb that, that, you know, this was provided by the dental agency, by the way. All this candy was provided um, to get you in to fill your cavities. But we want more of the same thing. We'll make, we think it'll make us happier. Think about it. In your experience, well, let me talk about my experience. One of five kids, when the gang returned back to the headquarters, the hideout, after a night of pillage in the village, you poured out all the candy. Oh, my gosh. And then you'd swap, you'd barter. It became a black market right there in our home. And, 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 you know, and you'd look at this, oh, my gosh, the treasure. And, of course, you can imagine the mom and dad you know, standing there going, oh, the dental bills. Oh, this is not good. And, we, you know, your kids want to eat candy till they get sick. Maybe you've never done that. I've, I've certainly never done that, but my, my brothers and sisters did. <laughs> and so many people walk away disappointed by God, saying, it's a trick, not a treat. I want candy. And you keep offering me this version of life that does not sound like candy to me. No, it's not. It's, it's super deeply satisfying. It's a really good life, much more than you can ask or imagine. It's not a trick, it's a treat. It's a gift of the highest worth that moves us from death to life. From a lack of purpose and identity to a very full sense of purpose and identity. I'm a beloved child of the King. He wants you to walk with Him and enjoy life with Him. To even suffer and sacrifice in His name. Why? Because I'm on my way somewhere really, really good. And as long as I pretend that this is the place that I want to end up, I'll be woefully dissatisfied. I'll feel like somebody faked me out. Like those horrible people, there's one in every neighborhood that will give you cheese and cracker snacks, small pieces of fruit. I mean, what, who are these people? I mean, really, is there some kind of a, the early release program from the most deep and dark prisons in the world that they let them all out right before thank, for Halloween and say, here, we're going to give you some things to give kids in the neighborhood just to really ruin their holiday? No. No, so we, we don't know even how to, how to assess the value of what gives us. We know the price of everything and the value of nothing until we start to come into our right heart and our right mind as God says, this is what life looks like. And all the laughter and all the joy and the beautiful tastes and smells and all the things that make life so good, I'll show you how to access that in a way that really will be uh, a blessing to you so that you, in turn, can be a blessing to other people. We talked about this last week. So truly, we'll never feel more alive than when giving our lives to God and to people. I love that song we sang just before uh, Ryan came up to uh, speak. Fill me with your heart. Lead me with your love to those around me. Wow. 
that's a fantastic. Next time somebody asks me what they should get for a tattoo, I'm going I'm to suggest this. Uh, sometimes people have come up to me and they want uh, biblical references for tattoos. It just kills me. Um, and, you know, it brings, i got to stop for just a second, just a little side note, note here. It, it brings out this smart alchemy. me. A guy came in, and this guy was super well built, and he came up to me, he puts up this big bicep, you know, this was about the size of my thigh, you know, and he, and he goes, look at that. And I go, okay. Um, and, and he said, what does it say? He'd had a Hebrew word tattooed on his bicep. Now, I immediately saw it, it was the word shalom. I said, oh my gosh, that's a super familiar Hebrew word. He said, what is it? It says idiot. Right there, on your arm, idiot. I'm not putting down your tattoos. Um, my dad was festooned with tattoos in a, in a time when nobody had tattoos. And it, was, it freaked me out my whole life, seeing people with tattoos on. Because it stood for something that wasn't creative and neat. But what God wants to do is make us feel so alive. His word is, is, is tattooed on our heart. And it's transformational. That word gets in us and it works within us and comes out in everything we do. You'll never feel more alive giving your life to God and people. Not as a duty, not as an exchange, not as a transaction. That's how the world works. Quid pro quo. I'll do this if you do that. You owe me. Not as a need to be needed. Do you like me now? Am I okay? But as a gift. What's this for? I was just thinking about you and I thought you'd appreciate this. Wow, thanks. No, there's no catch, no strings attached. Just saw that made me think of you. That's why giving gifts at all the predictable times is fun. But giving gifts at the unpredictable times is really fun. Because people are completely caught off guard. Whoa, what's, it, what's this? I don't know, I just saw this and I thought of you and I thought I'd give it to you. And they're like, wow, okay. So this is what God does with us. When he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, he's constantly looking out for those things. Gosh, what would bring delight to you? Unfortunately, we're often so obsessed with the other things around us that we don't even see these continuous, consistent gestures of love. Uh, this is why I, my, my, my deep heart appreciation for every, every mom or grandmother. Now, dads and grandfathers, of course, this, you, you count in this too. Not as much. Because it's that mom who is constantly selflessly loving her child, that grandmother who's constantly pouring her life into this child. And the kid, being a kid, has no idea. They don't know that they won the life lottery by having this love poured into them. And it's only later when they're holding a child, that little boy, that little girl now, a grown man, a woman, holding that child says, oh my gosh, this is what my mom was feeling, what my grandmother was doing. Uh, this is what my father, my grandfather were doing when they went off to work or where they did what they needed to do. They came home tired, and I just wanted to play, and they wanted to sit down and forget the last eight hours, you know, or 12 hours. So the, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the only verse quoted of Jesus that doesn't come out of the Gospels. This is out of the, the book of Acts, and this is Paul, the apostle, who was a hostile rabbi uh, on, a, on a program of persecution and destruction toward this movement in Jesus' name. And then, of course, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And now he's this champion for Jesus. And on this international journey, he's making his way. Ultimately, he'll be, he'll be going all the way to Rome. But he's in Turkey uh, at, at a port, the port of, of the city of Ephesus, which is inland. And he has spent years in Ephesus developing this congregation. And, they've, and all kinds of fantastic leaders uh, live in that city and are doing great work throughout Turkey. 
And he sends a message saying, I'm on my way through. I can't come to Ephesus, but if you could meet me at the port, that would be great. So they all gather with him. And they have this love fest, really, because it's the last meal, last time they'll be together. And they're in tears because they realize we'll never see each other again. And, and uh, he just reminds them of who they are in Christ. And he says this. Uh, this is a very interesting thing. It, it's of all these you know, final words and farewell. And how does he want to be remembered, right? You know, the old tombstone kind of thing. If you literally go to the town of Tombstone, my favorite one on the, on the, on the tombstone says, I told you I was sick. Um, in this case, Paul says, literally, he says, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, it's an echo from God saying to Abraham, at the time Abram, you will be blessed to be a blessing. You will be blessed to be a blessing. It's fantastic to be blessed. It's just even more fantastic to be a blessing. But there's a cost in giving one's life, right? It will cost you something. If you were helping here yesterday, you're tired today. There's no getting around it. It was a joyful, really fun day. It was a crack up. All these, so many kids and people and families uh, and, and all the work setting up and the work then hosting it and the work cleaning up. And uh, now today you're tired, but you feel really good. You're like, that was really good. I'm really glad I did that. So there's always a cost in giving one's life, but the benefits far outweigh the costs, always. Always. You are a beloved child of God whose purpose is receiving and giving his love. Have that firmly imprinted in your mind. Commit that to memory. I am a beloved child of God whose purpose is receiving and giving his love. Giving your life away is a quality of being. It's who I am. And it's also a quality of embodying what I do with God's blessings given to me. And we have to be wise in how we do it. You just can't give, 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 give uh, without any regard to maintaining your health, let's say, or, or, or staying faithful to the other relationships in your life. You can get out of whack. And then if, you're getting, if you find maybe right now you're out of whack, it could be that you're seeing this as a transaction. You're, you're feeling this is an obligation that if I stop doing this, God won't love me or people won't love me. That happens within the church. We start by saying, I want to I bless others as I've been blessed. And pretty soon you're going, uh, nobody else will do it or they'll feel bad or they'll be angry or I'll feel whatever. Um, but we need to have this sense of rhythm in our work and our rest. So I hope as you're giving and living your life, giving it away to others, that you're taking time for a Sabbath rest. You're finding a rhythm of work and rest. You're getting enough sleep. You're eating properly. You're getting exercise. You're doing the kinds of things that allow you to simply be restored and renewed. So that's part of your blessing, receiving what God wants to give you to make you fully alive in him so that then in turn you can give to other people. Um, you know, I was on a plane last month, and again, for the 10,000th time, the person puts, you know, the, the, the fake air oxygen thing in the air and says, now remember, a few parents put this on you first so you can help your kid, right? So giving your life away um, is, is who you are and it's what you do. Does this sound like you? Do you see yourself that way? If not, perhaps you need a new view of you. I have nothing to give. I really don't have the time. I don't have the whatever. I, 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 nothing, I have nothing to give. There's people who convince themselves of this through life. Some of them are, are free writing. 
I can work it so that I never have to do anything. Let those other people do PTA. Let those other people do this. Let those other people do that. Let those other people pay taxes. Let those other... And they think they're getting away with something. What they're doing is they're eroding their life one day at a time. Or they've convinced themselves that not that I'm free riding, but that I am so worthless, I have nothing to offer anyone, which is even worse. And that's this downward spiral of self-destruction. Sometimes it's blatant self-destruction, cutting or starving or you know, self-medicating. Other times it's a quiet, very quiet, self-delusional cycle of downward spiraling. Uh, because you're so depressed with who you are and who you're not. So this whole idea of learning to give your life away is an exercise in learning how to live your life, how to be the best version of you, letting God write a new and better story in our lives one day at a time. So we're saved by God's grace, not by our good works. And yet His grace motivates us to give, and so we find that we thrive and grow by doing good works. It's not double talk. We're saved by grace in order to do good works. The grace is what puts us back in our right heart and our right mind. And the good works allows us to express ourselves fully as human beings, created to do work as God does. What is that work? Creative work. Work to bless other people. That's why we never feel more alive than we're in that sweet spot. I mentioned last week, you know, uh, Csikszentmihalyi, the, the famous professor at Stanford who created this whole concept of flow. He didn't really create it. He just doc- documented it. When you're in that place of flow and all, everything is aligned, you just feel like time goes by like that. You just, you're so caught up in the joy of doing whatever you're doing. You've had those projects, right? You can't wait to get up in the morning to, to get it at, back at it again. You stay up late at night. You don't have the right tool, but it doesn't matter. You can innovate. You can figure out another way to get that thing done because you want to get it done. And that's that sense of flow. And God wants to set us up for flow. Again, a rhythm of work and rest, but a flow that is so enlivening that it transforms us and transforms people around us. So that's what giving your life away means. And so how do we sustain giving ourselves away over a lifetime without burning out? Peter is a role model for this. Uh, you see this in Acts 3, 6. He and John are coming out of the temple. There's a man who's crippled, and he's, he's begging for money, and Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I have I give you. And he grabs this guy's hand. He says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. No, man, I'll take the money. <laughs> no, the guy was caught off guard. Next thing, he's on his feet going, whoa, which set in motion this whole horrible event for the guy because now all the religious authorities are hectoring him, harassing him, going, hey, who did that? It's Sabbath. Don't you know that? No, I just the guy told me to get up, and I did, and I'm so happy I did, but well, who is he? I don't know. You, are, do you want to follow him too? No, we don't want to follow him. Get out of here. And they bring uh, Peter and John in. They said, you have to stop doing that. <laughs> and they said, well... Okay, here's the deal. Um, should we do what you tell us to do, or should we t- do what God tells us to do? You put us in a dilemma. Ah, I know. We'll resolve it this way. We'll just do what God tells us to do. How about that? Get out of here. If we see you again, you're in big trouble, right? And they get together, and one of the smart guys, Nicodemus, says, hey, um, oh, Gamaliel, excuse me. Gamaliel says, you know, I'd be careful here because if we, if we are fighting these guys, we just could find ourselves fighting God. Let's see where this goes. But we thrive and grow by doing good works. And all we have to do is learn how to say, what I have, I give you. 
People will make demands of us. I won't go into all the details, but this lady came up to me in the middle of, you know, doing one of the events yesterday, the scary spider tunnel. And all these little kids walking, big eyes like this, and this lady comes up and just, and all of a sudden I realize she, what she's doing, she's hitting me up for a scam. I'm like, lady, I don't have time to talk to you right now, and I can't help you. And this crazy story she's spinning, and the fact that she needs this right now, and and I thought, oh my gosh, it was just nutty. What she was doing was demanding of me. But what I said, like, I didn't say the exact words, but I basically said, I don't have what you need, but I, I, you know, we can help you in a way that maybe will really help you. And I'm like, well, oh, she left. What I have, I give you. I don't have maybe what you're demanding. I don't maybe have what you think you want, but I will give you what you need. I'll give you what I have. Now, for you, it could be wisdom. It could be a prayer. It could be money. It could be whatever it is. You're saying, what do I have that I could give this person that would constructively help them? This could be a divine appointment right in front of me. That's what Peter and John saw. They didn't just say, dude, sorry, no money. He kept walking. He said, oh my gosh, what do I, I know. I just I have the presence of God with me. I saw Pentecost. I was there. Okay, let's try this, you know. So Peter's a role model for answering the question. Uh, what does it look like to give my life away? Well, what I have, I give you. Never, ever call yourself just anything. I'm just a... Never erase that. Well, I'm just... No, oh, man, you are. You're not just. Don't minimize. You are a child of the king. And because you have the full authority of the king in your heart, in your mind, in your hands, you can say yes and you can say no. You can say, this is how I can help, or this is whom I can introduce you to, who I think can help you. Or I'm going to help you, but it's conditional. I'm going to give the money to the rescue mission, not to you. Uh, there's a program that I support through the Salvation Army. That's, they're going to help you. I don't like those people. I can't help you. Often we, we, what we have to give is some accountability, along with our compassion. So what if we can't provide what people need to want? Well, just get some perspective. And here's, here's the, the affirmation that helps me. Um, it's not a verse, it's just an affirmation. I give my life to fulfill God's purposes in blessing others as he has blessed me. Let this be your giving my life away affirmation. I give my life to fulfill God's purposes in blessing others as he has blessed me. That tattoo should go on your chest or your back. My arm won't be... Um, I... Give my life to fulfill God's purposes in blessing others as he has blessed me. So how has God blessed you? As I said, don't underestimate or minimize what you can give. But our insecurity makes us challenging because, wow, what if somebody's upset with me? I remember one time uh, a, a guy, I was in my 20s, I was a young pastor. A guy comes in off the street in Newport Beach and, and um, traveling through, right? And he, he finds the, me and... and uh, he says, hey, I, I need some help. I said, okay, what can I do to help you? I said, well, you know, I need some clothes. I need some, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. So I literally walk over to my house, live in this little duplex uh, 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 just behind the church. I, I find some stuff. I bring it back. I said, well, here's this. He goes, I don't like that. <laughs> I go, then you're out of luck. Because this is actually what I wear, and we're the same size. If you don't like this, then I need help from you. Because this is the best I can give you. What I have, I give you. If it's not enough, that's not my problem. That might be you know, your problem. And maybe this t- ties into a lot of other problems you have about what you're demanding of the world. Stop saying trick or treat 
everywhere you go. But we've got to pay attention to God. And out of our insecurity, we don't often pay attention to God. What we end up doing is saying, I want to make a heaven on earth. I want to make my life as comfortable as possible. And we stop paying attention to God. We don't stop believing, but we stop paying attention. It's a dynamic relationship, giving your life away for God. It's not a, okay, I just have to give everything away. It's what are you giving away? How are you giving it away? What does that look like? For that, you need to pay attention to God. Uh, this week, a friend of mine uh, sent me an article by Timothy Keller. Maybe you're familiar with him. A phenomenal pastor, writer, thinker. Uh, he, he's had a magnificent impact in, in American spiritual life. Uh, the New York Times a few years ago called him the, the, the American version of C.S. Lewis. But he has pancreatic cancer, and so he's dying. You know, pancreatic cancer is not a long-term thing. It's a pretty short-term thing. And it rocked his world, of course. Uh, and uh, he's actually, he's lived longer than most people live with pancreatic cancer, but he was about 70 when he was diagnosed. He said, I, I feel great. Kathy and I are building this great life. We've got all these plans. And all of a sudden he said, my gosh, he didn't use this exact word, but he, in the way he described it in this article is, basically I was talking like an atheist. I got plans. This can't be happening to me. We're making a really great life. We're doing a lot of really great things. Uh-huh. Of course you are. You are. But it caused him to reflect ever more deeply on his life. He, he concludes that he hasn't been paying close enough attention to God. Can you relate to that? If Timothy Keller is not paying close enough attention to God, I wonder if I'm not paying attention to God, you know. Because am I so comfortable in my commitment to doing all these good things, I'm not paying attention to God. And the work he may be doing in me or some of the things he wants me to do rather than perpetuating these other things I'm doing, Right? So I ask you the question, how much time do you spend developing your spiritual life and, and your potential spiritual impact? How much time do you think about that? While you're worrying and thinking about everything else you're doing, all those commitments you're trying to keep, all those priorities you're trying to maintain, all those plans you have, does this fit into any of your planning? Lord, how can I grow my relationship with you? How can I learn to pay attention to you in this season of my life? What, what do you want me to let go of or to take on or to keep doing? Good questions to ask. What do you want me to stop? What do you want me to start? What do you want me to continue? Good question to ask your kids, your spouse, uh, your colleagues. So we need to spend more time stretching our wings rather than feathering our nest. Well, I worked really hard. That's other people's job now. No. At every season, in every season of life, at every age and stage, there's something that God wants us to do that stretches our wings. It might look very different than what we did at a previous point, or it might look very different from what we'll do in a future point. But it's stretching your wings. And you know what that looks like, it feels like. Because at some point, uh, when people get older, they typically have more resources and they write more checks, but they give less time. I'm too tired. You're too tired because you've stopped paying attention to God, therefore you're not being invigorated with that fullness of life that he wants to give you. How dare you talk to me that way? I'm not talking to you that way. I'm just saying it could be that you're tired of doing the same old, same old. And as you maybe have a fresh perspective on you, you might find it invigorating and energizing to be doing this new thing in this new season of life. In spite of your age and stage and, you know, your bad hip or your sore foot or your whatever. You see where I'm going with this? We can feather our nest in any number of ways. Oh, my wife takes care of that. What do you mean your wife takes care of that? Your team, talk about what your life should look like together. 
Don't delegate to your kids or your spouse or to anybody else the, this core stuff in your life. Let that be a conversation. Pull your kids in and say, hey, what do you think we ought to be doing with our time as a family and our resources as a family to honor God and bless people? Little kids have that conversation with parents. They start thinking that giving away your life is a normal way to live your life. You stop talking about those poor people. You start talking about us as people. You see our spiritual poverty and realize that God wants to bless us and fill us. And part of that looks like giving my life away. So let's talk about that, kids. All of a sudden, your children go, I'm paying attention. Some of you heard me tell this story, and, and I, I hate to tell family stories because either, either my wife or kids are annoyed by it, or it sounds like I'm boasting, but I'm not, it's not a boast. It's simply an observation that when our um, um, daughter, uh, Lauren, and her husband, John, decided to start a family, they said, rather than start with uh, you know, uh, conceiving our own children, let's start by adopting some children. And as I was talking about that, and now they have two adopted children, and Janet's in Dallas this weekend hanging out with the kids, and this Friday, they had this ceremony in the courthouse in, in, in uh, uh, oh, oh, Fort Worth, yeah, one of those Texas cities. And, um, and they formalized this adoption that, that was effected six months ago. You know, a teary kind of a thing, a really neat thing. They do a great job. But when, we, when, when they were first doing that, I said, Lauren, that's really, that's really unique. And, you know, uh, she goes, no, it's kind of weird, I know. I go, it's not weird. She, she goes, well, most people, it's for infertility and all that that leads them to, but we just felt like this is what we, God wanted us to do. And I said, where did that ever come from? How did you get that in your mind and heart? She said, remember when I was six? I'm like, what? Yeah, when I was six, I used to go down to Mexico a lot, and, and you let me go with you once in a while, and, and all those other kids and adults and... and um, we were in that orphanage and all those little cribs and babies and I asked what they were doing there and you explained that some didn't have moms and dads and others, the moms and dads really couldn't take care of them so they were in this orphanage. And she said, remember I asked if we could take one home. And I know you were trying not to laugh at the time, like no way, you know, but you said, no honey, you, you can't take them home, um, it's a little bit complicated, but um, you know, someday you could do that. She said, so someday. This is the day. See, this is what giving our lives away looks like. We're not giving our kids lectures. We're giving them experiences. We're giving them exposure, opportunity to see how the world works. So when they're in junior high, they're doing mission trips. Hey, how did the mission trip go in Ukraine? Fine, but we were under these buildings trying to help these kids who were snuffing glue. What? I'm speed dialing the youth pastor. What were you thinking about? You know, then I stopped. And I'm like, wait, this is what I'm thinking about. Or, yeah, how was Africa? How was Mexico? How was the inner city thing? How was the ladle fellowship? How was the whatever? And your kids didn't reflect on it. And they start to figure out the complexities of giving so when helping hurts and when it doesn't hurt the people you're trying to help, right? This giving our life away requires a conversation. If you're not having a conversation, you're not really giving your life away. If you're being intentional, what are you learning? What are you learning about you? What are you learning about people? What are you learning about God? If you're not being intentional, what's holding you back from giving your life away more intentionally? Well, I got bills to pay. Everybody has bills to pay. Well, I got this. Well, I got that. Hey, okay, you, you, now you just added just. I'm just. I got a hall pass. Hey, silver or gold have you none. What do you have? What little time do you have? What little this? What little of that? 
What could you let go of for just a short time and test things out? What shows are you watching via binge? What things are you doing that are, that are interesting, but really they're time wasters? Here's some questions for reflection. Do you make time for personal Bible reading and prayer? Do you make time for a life group? Do you make time to regularly worship God? Do you t- make time and plans for works of mercy and compassion? Do you initiate or participate in spiritual conversations with family or friends? Well, that's kind of awkward. It is until you start doing it. Talking about cancer is awkward until the person's in the hospital and you're talking about their cancer. You can initiate things in appropriate ways that stop being awkward a few minutes after you start talking about it. Do you plan and prioritize how you would give your time, your talent, your treasure? Do you set a percentage of your time, talent, and treasure to give to your family, to your church, ministry and mission efforts with your, within your community, beyond your community? Again, sitting down with your kids and saying, okay, this is how we use our money in our family. Wow, okay. So this, this is how we want to give. We believe God wants to give, and here's the priorities we have, and anything you guys want to particularly invest time, talent, and treasure in. Five-year-old kids, six-year-old kids, eight-year-old kids, 11-year-old kids are going, wow. Hmm. Well, what if we... And you're not asking them for permission. You're not telling them what you're, how much you give and, and where it's all going. But you're putting in their hearts and their heads, this is a responsibility for people who take their life seriously. You have a clear sense of your role and responsibilities in this season of life. Again, easy to overwork and overfunction in some area and use it as an excuse not to get real about this season of your life. And you miss big opportunities. Yeah, but you don't know the, tr- the challenges and the pressures and the stresses I face. Oh, yes, I do. Every single one of us understands that. Nobody is exempt from understanding that. But what we do understand also is those things can so quickly tie us in a thousand little strings that we're like Gulliver. We can't move. We have to start saying, okay, in the midst of my very busy, over, overwhelming, demanding, stressful life, <laughs> where is God working in ways that I can join him? I was talking to a friend this week, and years ago, um, he ran this law firm. And this is a big, one of these big stories. It's just an example of what you can do. Um, but he realized that everybody in the law firm had to do uh, pro bono work as part of the law firm. At the time, the largest, most profitable law firm in the world. And everybody had to do pro bono work. It was always a pain. It's like continuing education. Oh, well, what am I going to do? The year end is almost here. And so what he figured out is, hey, if I organize it for everybody and gave an option, so he found out there's this thing called the Not For Sale campaign, an human, anti-human trafficking thing, and, and run by a guy, uh, David Batstone, a Christian guy, awesome guy, and my friend met him through a, another friend. And he said to his firm, what if we gave a million dollars worth of pro bono hours to the Not For Sale campaign? He didn't say, it's a Christian organization, you know, he just said it's, it's helping in the effort of anti-human trafficking. Everybody was completely relieved. Oh my gosh, that's easy, sure. That gives me, okay. He was doing them a favor, right? So you, have, you can be really creative in any way you can possibly think. It'll help, though, if you have a mission statement. You've heard me talk about this before. If you don't have a mission statement, why not? If you don't have a mission statement, you don't have a roadmap. You don't have a plan. You have no priorities. You have no basis for managing what you can't see and understand in the next weeks, months, and, and year. Guess what? If your kids know you have a mission statement and you let them read it, it's a game changer for them. It could be a simple sentence. It could be a paragraph. It could be several pages, whatever. But start somewhere. 
Your kids know that you have a, 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 a okay, if, if, you, if you're old enough to say, okay, we have to figure out if we died, we have a house. We don't want the government to take a big chunk of it. We want our kids to take a chunk of it. So you, you have a will. And you pull your kids in. You say, hey, I want to talk about a will. The kids are like, oh, you may as well talk about sex with your kids as talk about you dying. Because they're like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation. No, but we're just talking about if something crazy happened and, and, and we were out of the picture, here's what's going to happen. And here's your responsibilities. And here's what we're going to do to distribute whatever is left over. If we live long enough, there'll be zero. But if something happened, here's what would happen. And all of a sudden, the kids are going, wow, there's a plan in play. It's called formation. And when you have formation and a structure, you start to get inspiration. You start to see possibilities. Once you meet that person in your very busy life, you start dating, you find that you have, amazingly, you have time for them. You make time for them. Your, your travel schedule, your work schedule, has, schedule hasn't changed, but all of a sudden, you're in love. And you find those times of conversation or flying across the country to meet with them for a date or whatever, right? Why? Because you created a framework and now all of a sudden you're filling it with some inspiration. So giving away, your life away is prior, not primarily an issue of capacity. It's, a, it's an issue of commitment. Start with the commitment. I'll leave you with this story. And, and I, love, I love ancient stories because they always remind me of things right now. And ancient stories are ancient and they're interesting, but immediately I think of what does that look like right now? So in 168 BC, before the Roman Empire as we know it, but Rome was a power and they would have a person who would be kind of a president for a while instead of a Caesar for life. And they were very powerful. And, and, and previous to this, you know, the Greek empire had swept across the world. Now that was receding. And places like Egypt and, and Syria, those were big powers and with Greek influence, but the Romans now pretty much owned it. And a fellow named uh, Antiochus IV, the dad was one of the, the generals for... Um, uh, one of the, uh, what's his face? Oh, now I can't even think of his name. Uh, one of the Greek leaders. But now several generations into it, this guy is his own king of Syria. It's very powerful. They kind of control Egypt. He's marching on Egypt just to let them know that he's the boss. Turns out that Egypt is the breadbasket for the Roman Empire. And Rome understands that this guy's marching to, to uh, take names and push people around. And so the mighty Roman... Um, at that point, Confederation, sends an old man named Gaius Popilius Linus. And this old man had served two terms as the, the chief of Rome. But now he's an old guy. And, and, and Antiochus shows up with this vast army and the Egyptians are freaking out. And this old man walks up to greet him and he's like, oh my gosh, there's a contingent from Rome. And so... Antiochus being there, yeah, I'm a king here. He puts his hand out like, yeah, welcome to my turf. And, and uh, Popilius, that's his middle name, that's his name he goes with. Popilius doesn't shake his hand. He just hands him a document. He says, read it. And, and Antiochus goes, yeah, well, you know, I'll take it under consideration. Talk to my, my advisors and see, we'll see what he's going to do. Because uh, he glanced at it and realized it was a command from Rome, go home and don't come back. And he's like, yeah, it's an old man, see ya. The old man has a stick, just a little stick. And he takes it and he draws a circle around Antiochus. 
He goes, don't leave that circle before you decide what you're going to do. Oh, my gosh. And Antiochus is looking at the circle and the old man who is steely-eyed and completely calm. He's looking at all the other leaders standing like, what are we going to do? And he says, okay. He decides to obey Rome. And then Popilius extends his hand and a big smile says, good idea, <laughs> you know, basically. A decision. You see, you can make a decision without knowing any of the details. Because a decision is simply a direction. A commitment. God is unavoidable. God is unavoidable. He's giving you his word. Read it. Decide what you're going to do with it. Don't leave this circle until you do. Now you might think, well, I can leave that circle anytime I want. Wherever you go, that circle is around you. Saying the authority of God surrounds you. What will you do with it? Will you go to war with Rome? Or will you become friends with Rome? Rome's not trying to squash you. They're trying to work with you so you don't squash everybody around you. Powerful, powerful. And so I hope you have that sense that you can make a decision today to keep doing what you've been doing, giving your life away. To perhaps re-up. I'm going to give my wife a life away, and I want to be thinking about how to do that creatively in this season of my life. I want to do some things differently. I'm going to give my life away. I'm convinced I need to start doing that, but I don't know who to... I don't know what to do, so I'm going to ask some people to walk me through that. I don't know where you are. Maybe you don't even know where you are. But there's a circle around you, and God's word is in your hand. And he wants you to be wise and discerning about how you give your life away. So you stop saying trick and treat. You start saying, I'm here. What I have, I give you. Our life gets bigger, and our life gets better when we give it away. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, uh, for my brothers and sisters here. For those who are here and not even sure if they believe in you, I pray that they would come to a deep understanding of your love for them and their absolute need for your absolute grace. For those who are discouraged today, Lord, and feel underwater and overwhelmed and feel like they have nothing to give, I pray, Lord, you give them a new, fresh, larger perspective of, of their life and what you want and can do in them. For those, Lord, who feel like they're giving at a high level and are feeling pretty good about that, I pray, Lord, you'd right-size our understanding that everything we have belongs to you. And help us to be good stewards in a way that perhaps takes us way beyond our comfort zone of who we invest our lives in, what we invest our lives in, and what we do to, to uh, provide resources for all those things that we see that have our name and yours attached to them. So this is our prayer. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. So in this time of, of uh, offering, we're not asking you to give money. You can give that another way, another time. Uh, uh, Ryan explained how you can do that if you're leaving uh, you drop money off, but what this offering about is about is you saying, Lord, here's me. I want to I open my heart and my mind and my hands to you and show me what you want me to do. As we sing the song, let those words come through your mind, into your heart, and maybe affect the way you use your hands.
devotion Now there's nothing in this world That could ever satisfy Through every trial My soul will sing And no turning back I've been set free Everything I need Christ my all in all The joy of my salvation When this soul will never fail Heaven is our home Through every storm My soul To God be the glory And Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me Everything I need is in you Everything turning back no turning back I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back in the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no turning back in the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. And Christ is enough for me, Christ is enough for me.
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he is enough. Remember, he came to give us life on all fullness, more than enough. It's okay to say trick or treat when you're little and you got a bag and a costume. Spend the rest of your life saying, uh, what I have, I give you. And let's see where that takes you. Let's see how that changes you and changes the people that you come in contact with, wherever you are, whatever age or stage you're in. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, reflecting his glory as we walk through life one day at a time in his presence. May the Lord give you everything you need to experience his love, enjoy his presence, to express his power both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I have decided to follow Jesus.